Okay, I see. Uh, yeah, we're recording, right? Yep, seven seconds in. Okay, very nice. Well, here's our first test run, and I think I'll start off the. Uh, I'll start with the questions, and uh, I have a question for you, sir. Okay. And my question is, what do you think about what's going on in America right now? I, what's your opinion? I think that. The foreign intelligence agencies have been subverting our press for a while and fomenting dissent, and right now we may be seeing the opening of a new civil war. Okay, I think so we've got we've got two elements in America that that two competing views of the world. Uh, two spheres of, of uh, two moral compasses, each pointing in an opposite direction. You've got uh, people who believe that uh, free speech ends when it hurts your feelings, or that they have a completely different conception of rights. They think that the, um, rights mean it's okay to have to beg the government for something as long as the government makes your neighbor pay for it, but they don't think that rights mean the government needs to get its boot off your neck and your ass out of your way so that you can figure out a way to provide it yourself. Uh, and it's um, it, it's culminated, and I don't think it's been a purely organic process. I think that... Okay. Uh, go ahead. So I want to unpack that unpack that a little bit. So let's start with the intelligence agencies. Uh, uh, can you name, you know, who would this be? Who would who would be doing this, and why would they do this? Right, and that's a great question. And as always with intelligence, there's there, there's it, it's tough to find anything that you can say as definitive proof. But we do know. We do know from KGB defectors in the past, etc., that the, the 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 Soviets have always tried to sow dissent in the United States and tried to find cracks and make it difficult to govern. On the on the 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 the, the idea being that if it's difficult to govern here, it's going to sap energy away that that can't be directed abroad. And so they'll have a freer hand abroad if we're divided at home. We know that there have, we know that, uh, for instance, the Soviet Union used to ship a suitcase a year to the president of the Communist Party of the United States containing a million dollars cash just to fund Communist Party political activities. We know that they've had, um, uh, they, they had a whole lot of influence in the 60s movements. That isn't to say there weren't legitimate grievances and legitimate protests and movements, but they work really hard to put their finger on the scale and emphasize grievances and emphasize radicals so that it's the United States is more divided and it's difficult to um, act in unison abroad because we're spending so much energy trying to deal with each other at home. Uh, I, I think that when you look at look at the the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, 
He is a Saudi citizen who died at the hands of an absolute monarch for insulting the royal family on Saudi soil. But the absolute outrage in the United States was because Khashoggi was was, uh, supposedly a member of the press. He was a columnist who we know now was paid by Qatari intelligence to push Iranian talking points. Why were so many press organizations pushing so hard that this was that this was a an attack on the free press? It, it, it wasn't, but but you you have you have these sympathies that are, I, I don't know where are the registered foreign agents. I, I've tried going through the database and tracking them. It seems like a whole lot of people don't register foreign agent status. Like there's a lot of not a lot of registrations. Uh, I, I have a lot of questions. I, I, I think that you can see patterns in these protests you have going on. You have legitimate protests where the protesters will march with the police during the day in some cases, and then at night it turns into riots. But when you look at video from the night, these are completely different people. They're well-equipped. And they're working in a fashion that suggests that they're practiced. Um, there was a video to, circulating today from last night, Columbus, Ohio, where it looked like Columbus PD were smashing out a theater. Now, the guys doing it saw that they couldn't have missed the camera people watching them. There was even a cameraman, the video that went viral, even caught a cameraman with a professional camera crossing his field of vision to get closer video. If you have actual government, if those were actual government agents provocateur, why would they be doing it in front of cameras? It's yeah, there. I saw that. I noticed that I noticed that video, uh, and it was very interesting what, what those Columbus cops were doing. But let me ask you a follow-up question here. And yeah. uh, let me just kind of, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of, you know, if, if people are listening and, you know, a lot of people, when they hear what you say, one of the one of the common responses might go something like this. Somebody would say, hey, 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 Michael, uh, you're looking past the legitimate grievances of these people and you're just kind of blaming what's going on on foreign agents, but... What about the anger that people are feeling? Is is this not real? What what would you say to that? Oh, I'm sure the anger is real. I'm sure the anger is real. Look, I I, I couldn't bring myself to watch the video, the the Floyd George video. It's um, I'd seen enough with uh, who was it, Eric Gardner in New York City. Um, but the the thing is, nobody's defending the death of Floyd George. Nobody's saying, well, he resisted arrest. Nobody's saying, well, that was a legitimate takedown. I've seen people point out that, well, that restraint position that was used is approved in the textbook or in the, 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 the departmental manual, and that's fine, except the man was unconscious for like three minutes before the restraint was ended. Uh, once the cuffs go on, once the struggling ceases... The, the the fight is over. The restraint positions end. Their cops aren't defending this. The union isn't defending this. 
Uh, conservatives aren't defending this. Uh, people who traditionally defend police aren't defending this. Nobody is saying you don't have a legitimate reason to, to, to be, to, to grieve. You don't have legitimate anger here. Uh, but what I'm finding is why would you, the people burning down the low-income housing, 180-some unit low-income housing complex in Minneapolis, those aren't the people who live in that housing complex. Those aren't the people who live in that neighborhood and are friends and relatives with the folks living in that housing complex. Those are people who, at the very least, are from the suburbs and coming in and taking advantage of the protests in order to riot. I don't think that the protesters and the rioters are, are the same groups of people. There may be overlap. You often get overlap between two different groups of people at a, 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 at a same event, but, but I, I think that the, the rioters are very, very different. The neighborhoods being burned down are the wealth are, aren't aren't generally speaking the wealthy neighborhoods they're the very poor neighborhoods and i don't think they're being burned down by their own residents i think they're being burned down by people coming in from at least from neighboring jurisdictions if not from other parts of the states or other states entirely and i think that, that there is you, you see enough issues you see the po you see a white van drive up to where two cops are standing guard and open fire on them, killing one, and then drive away. You see, um, you see pallets of bricks just lying around, not just in Dallas, but there was another city where, where somebody posted a, a picture of that as well. Uh, there are signs that, that these opportunists are organized and funded. And this is uh, pretty scary. Uh, if, if you want to talk about the issue of, of, of police violence, um, that's a real issue. For a long time in this country, we have been piling one law on after another until you can't get through the course of a normal day without having some kind of law enforcement encounter, even if it's just wondering if the guy behind you clocked you for failing to, to, to signal while turning lanes, while changing lanes. Um, and we have too many laws, and it creates a, a difficult cycle, and it puts uh, law enforcement in a position where they... they they have to assume the worst of people, and it it it, it creates a powder keg. I, I think that the powder keg is real, and I think that the match that was lit. I don't think it's a false flag. I think it was real. Uh, anyone who on the, you go online, anyone calling the, the 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 recent death here a false flag, I I, I think they're a little crazy. But um, I think that there are opportunists trying to to take that crack and take a a, a, a sledge hammer and drive a massive wedge through it. What do you think, okay, man? So, I've been doing a lot of talking. What do you think? Well, well, you know, I'm just thinking about some of the things that you that you talked about, and it's a little bit scary because I've seen some of these same videos. I did see those Columbus police officers uh, vandalizing the theater. I did see a video where there just happened to be a chest-high 
stack of bricks uh, next to a bus stop, I think it was, maybe in New York City or in some urban area. And the kids, the kids on camera is they're basically saying, hey, look at this pile of bricks. You know, how, how does a random pile of bricks just get here in the middle of a riot? You know, like yes. who and stacked up so nice and neatly, you know? Yeah, and I, 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 I followed that thread down the rabbit hole a little bit. Now, that was in, I can tell you, give you a little more information about that. That was, if I recall correctly, in Dallas where that took place. That was the first one that was really went viral. And somebody okay. in the comments suggested that um, there had been some some street work nearby on a water main or something, and so the bricks were there for the, the street work. I'm assuming they mean that the what, what it was a, some kind of decorative path or something that that's not paved, but that instead is uses pavers or something. Uh, I, I personally, I, I I kind of held it out as okay, maybe it could be that until that was yesterday. I saw this video. Then today I saw a video or a photo. Someone a different palette of bricks, similar issue, um, near a shopping center in I think this time in Minnesota. I don't remember for sure. And then um, today I heard that the Denver police discovered a cache of weapons and gasoline uh, near uh, 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 where a, uh, a, a riot event was planned. Um, it's apparently a pretty common tactic for Antifa and Antifa-type groups to go in to organize some members to get some um, clothes to look like they're workers, take a van, go into a city at early morning hours, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., before the, the protesting starts, and drop off these kinds of materials so that when the protest turns into a riot, it's there, and they know where it is. And it's already past the police barricades, if they're still even existing by that point. Okay, so, you know, the idea, the idea, and, you know, there appears to be some evidence of this, but the idea that a foreign intelligence service is operating, brazenly operating in the United States right now, Helping to sow division, you know, that, that's worrying for several reasons. Probably the biggest reason to me is, uh, where is our counterintelligence? How is this happening so easily? Have, you know, basically have the Russians infiltrated to such a degree that they can get away with this kind of thing? And what does that say about the state of our government, the state of our intelligence agencies? What say you? I, I don't know if it's Russian or not. I mean, it has all the fingerprints of being... A, a, when a country wants to overthrow another country, this is what they do. They find natural tensions and natural points of division. They accentuate them through the press. And then they, they, they train and get some... Um, and pay some uh, groups to, to go at, at crucial points, crucial pivot points, 
and create extraordinary chaos to make people feel unsafe so that they welcome a new government. Who who, who would be sophisticated enough to do this besides the Russians? I mean, who who would, I mean, besides them, who, you know, I I think the Chinese have their way of doing things, but it's not this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's baffling and maybe I'm off about the whole thing. It's just, it's, it fits so much the pattern. Um, it looks so much like what Kermit Roosevelt did in Iran in the fifties. It looks so much like what so many governments have done in the 20th century so many times. It's, it's these protests. There is a legitimate organic element to it, but there is a lot that isn't organic and I, I don't know where it's coming from you know I watched uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a Netflix series called The Americans about a uh, Soviet family that's basically living in America for a long time have you have you seen that? Oh my god of course how could I miss it starring Carrie Russell so yeah this is exactly what they would be doing right they would yeah. be waiting for a like this, and they would be out all over the place, just, 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 just fanning the flames and throwing oil on the fire, right? Yes. Yep. The the thing is, there weren't. Well, officially, the Soviet government, officially, the Russian government denies that they ever had illegals operating in the U.S. like that. Unofficially, there have been defectors that, that I, I was just reading in, I think, Bloomberg earlier this year, uh, the story of an illegal who defected to, I think, Canada rather than return to the Soviet Union. Um, so, so uh, yeah, this is the sort of thing that, that you would have them doing. But, man, w- when, when Putin wanted to this is more active and more aggressive than anything Russia has done. Does that make sense? As far as I know, unless they're even more involved in the 60s uh, domestic terrorism than I I thought. But I I think this would be, I mean, if this turns out to be true, this would be a huge operation and uh, it would just be incredible that they could pull such a thing off. Um, you know, I will say that during the 1960s, you know, I've, I've, I've had family members who were involved in, in that civil, civil unrest. And, you know, I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, they did seek help abroad. You know, they definitely went to other countries trying to get funding. And, uh, so there was some, some, there was definitely some foreign involvement. However, you know, if I put myself in their shoes, you know, they would bristle. And again, maybe a lot of people on the streets right now would bristle at the idea that it's all coming from somewhere else. You know, uh, I mean, we don't, we don't know that. We can't prove it either way. It certainly yeah. does look suspicious. It certainly does look very, very suspicious. Uh, and it would be very brazen by Putin to do something like this. And it would have to come directly from Putin, right? Yeah, something like this, the the principle of the state would have to authorize. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah let's, I, let's unpack something else. I want to unpack yeah, something else that you said. All right. Yeah. So 
you know, you said that, uh, you know, you, you said that police and conservatives and basically people are somewhat united. You didn't see the video. I saw the video. The video, uh, you know, once, once you see something like that, you cannot unsee it. The video is brutal. And yeah, I would agree with you. I would say that 99% of American people uh, are united against this type of police violence, right? So my mm -hmm. question is, in this situation, shouldn't there be some type of alliance, at least ideologically, at least ideologically, at least spiritually, between conservatives, between libertarians, between libertarians and these protesters, right? Because they all want the same thing. We have a, we have a state that through its legal representation, the police force is consistently committing acts of violence on camera against American citizens of, of all races. Why aren't people together on this? Why is why are we divided at this moment? Is that the foreign influence or is it just that America is so divided that well, even in moments like this, we can't unite? I think that that's a uh, that that's a great question, and I think it's a, it's a um, I do think that there has been a long and protracted influence campaign to keep us divided. Um, after George Floyd's death, uh, I, I forget George Floyd or Floyd George. George Floyd. All right, uh, George. After after his death. The, was it the next day? All Lives Matter was trending on Twitter, but when you opened it up to see, you, it was almost entirely people saying All Lives Matter Matter I may better not be trending, or or um, All Lives Matter. If you say say that to me, then blah blah blah. It, it it was really weird. Like like people were looking for an excuse to believe that somebody's going to try to defend this officer or 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 pick a fight or, or over this it, it was it was really really strange to me and it, it's you mentioned uh law enforcement violence killing all races and it's true. I think it's more visible with um, when a black person dies because you have a lot of your, your over-policed neighborhoods are high-crime neighborhoods, and they tend to be um, more densely populated with minorities for them. We can talk about historical reasons and, and various things, but... Um, you know, you, you have uh, Lavoie Finicum was killed by the FBI wrongly. You have um, uh, Australian woman was killed by a uh, black police officer in Minneapolis a couple years ago. You have yeah, I remember um, I remember that case. Yeah, you remember the one that was really shocking to me the first time that I think I was really you know you, you walk through life yeah yeah most of life is is kind of like Goober Pyle wandering the Vegas Strip you just go from one bell and whiz bangy till to another until something jumps out at you to grab your attention I think the first thing on this issue that really grabbed me was you remember that when the law enforcement responded 
to a hotel because there was somebody reported that a man was acting erratically. And when they got to his room, they had him get out in the hallway and lay down on the floor and come toward me and blah, blah, blah. And they, they shot these commands, sometimes conflicting, and the man's shorts were falling off his ass on the carpet. And he was terrified for his life, and he was, I think, naked except for his shorts. And finally the cop shot him because he was trying to pull his waistband up or something. And that was I a white... I... What? That was a white guy. That was a that white was... guy. Yeah, that was that... Yeah, that was a white cop shooting a white guy. The the uh, I I think that the issue isn't police killing black people. I think the issue is police killing people and it just gets more traction because we're we're more attuned to racial division and to things along racial lines. I I, I think that we've passed a lot of laws. And I think the war on drugs is at the center of this. You, you know, I, um, I, I tell this story sometimes about last summer. There was this, um, this, this big war between the, uh, Bush guy, uh, the Bush distributor and the Coors distributor in, in my neighborhood. They, 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 one was trying to cut into the other's, uh, market share. So the Bush distributor, uh, went ahead and blew up the Coors distributor's truck when he was delivering. Unfortunately, he got the timing wrong on the bomb. So the, the, the truck, the, the driver wasn't in the, the, the distributor wasn't in the truck. So the distributor came back with a Tommy gun and just pelted the Bush distributor's cab, cab of his truck until he was dead. It was like a scene out of The Godfather, and that's how the Coors distributor wound up with the Bush distributor's market share in the city. Oh, no, wait, that didn't happen. But there was an era in this country when it, when those kinds of crimes did happen, and that was during the Volstead Act. We eventually repealed that, and now when Coors and Bush try to, try to gain market share, they do it with uh, bikini ads and, and coupons. Um... And we have, we've created, when we, when we criminalized other intoxicants, we created this market dynamic where when they want to settle scores, they can't sue each other. They can't, um, advertise. They, they kill each other. Uh, and we, we've created this, this market that, that has this escalating violence and then we've thrown police into it. They have to respond to that. If a cop has a traffic stop, he has to worry about, does the guy I'm stopping have a few kilos of cocaine or marijuana in his trunk that are going to give him a mandatory minimum sentence that makes it worthwhile for him to kill me the moment I get to his window? And when things... And the guy changed lanes without a signal, and this is a busy road, so I want to maintain public safety. That's the reason for the traffic stop, and now everyone's on a hair trigger. I've got to worry about anything that might seem out of place. And so law enforcement are trained. If the slightest thing is out of place, you know, be very careful. Be very careful. And and they're, you know... I interviewed for a law enforcement position once, and when I was researching the interviewing process, I found out that they, 
they try to weed out people who might hesitate before firing their gun. Mm. There was a high-profile incident a long time ago where somebody came in and shot up, I think it might have been an FBI office or something, and there were two agents there who could return fire. The one who was closest and in the best position to fire first flinched. He hesitated. And the second agent fired and killed the suspect, but the suspect killed the first agent first because that first agent hesitated. And when they did their their, their uh, after-action review, when they did their investigation of the incident, the conclusion was that because he was a preacher's son, he had uh, a, an instinct to flinch, to hesitate before taking life. And so now they look for things like you compete in team in in contact sports in high school or college to show that you won't hesitate. They try to weed people out of the application process who might hesitate before taking a life. I mean, it has gotten that intense. Uh, okay, it, so you know that that being the case, so let me let me let me throw it. Let me let's go at it from another angle, right? Mm-hmm. So we are in the day and age of smartphones. Everyone is walking around with a camera and a video recorder in their pocket. Uh, the police themselves, the police themselves are equipped with body cams. So basically. Whatever happens, whatever actions police take is going to be recorded. And, yeah, they, they have a tough job. You know, I, I respect law enforcement. They have a tough job. But if you think about it, if law enforcement still continues to get caught on TV abusing American citizens, that's, you know, and it's not I, I personally agree with you, it's not really a race thing, although because you know, because of historical factors in the black community it's a little bit different. But you know, let's just let's just focus on black people right now for, for just for the sake of this argument. Yeah, sure. If police if police are continuing to do things on camera that violate the civil rights of citizens and of black citizens what have they been doing for all of these decades before the body cams and before the smartphones? This must be a deeply ingrained culture in American police. It is so ingrained that even though they know they're going to get caught on camera, they can't stop committing acts of violence against American citizens. This is a problem. Yeah, I think it's um, a problem for all of us. It's a problem that we all need to address. And so, so here, let me let me let me say something else. Like the 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 case that just happened in in Minneapolis. Let's say for some reason uh, there weren't any riots, or let's say there was no civil civil disobedience, or maybe even if there just so happened there were not passers-by to record that incident, 
you know, chances are these four cops, they would have, they would not even have been fired, right? I think that's the history. I think that's where a lot of this anger is coming from. You put a knee on somebody's neck, you kill that person, you probably don't even get fired, let alone criminal charges, right? So there's decades of anger built up into this thing. What say you? I um, I agree. I remember when the body cams were first um, first rolling out. The um, you know because my job then I, I I was constantly scouring social media looking for issues, civil unrest, things that might affect clients within areas of interest. Um, one of the things that I really was really interesting for me was finding the number of times that an accusation of violence or brutality against law enforcement was disproven by body cams, as well as the number of times that it was proven by the body cams. It, it, it's, um, it was remarkable to me, you know, we, we all, we grow up in an environment, we see the pocket of society that we see, and we get glimpses into other pockets from time to time, but we have our own prejudice about what we're going to believe, and I, I grew up in suburbia, I have family in law enforcement, I've been helped by cops before, I had a tendency to dismiss a lot of the claims of brutality, most, if not all. Um, and I was, my eyes were really opened by the, 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 the times that the body cameras really, really showed the behavior. And then there were other times that I would see other people's eyes be opened by the fact that, uh, they thought that all of the accusations were true. And, and a lot of them were not. Now, lately, it seems like you only see the body cam footage when it proves that something's true. And I don't know if that's just... If Thank you for listening to the Truth and Narrative podcast. This intermission is brought to you by a dropped internet connection. When the internet connection failed, our conversation dropped. We will now fast forward you to the point in the conversation where recording resumed. In moments of crisis, we look for leadership from American, from our leaders, from our president. What grade would you give his leadership recently? You know, <laughs> that's the thing about this president is he gets such, his his leadership gets so distorted through the lens of the press it, it's not always easy to tell um it seems like he's been silent like obama would have had a press conference in the rose garden by now um but this president can't have press conferences he doesn't have a press conference that the press corps doesn't shit all over uh, so he can't use those to get his message out. Uh, not on something as somber as this. The last time he tried to condemn, uh, violence in Charlottesville, um, we had the, the very fine people hoax. Um, where major media news outlets actually edited video and edited transcripts to make it look like he was 
calling white supremacists very fine people. Uh, it, it, it's it's it, it's very difficult to judge him based on his visibility because his message, his presence, everything he does is refracted through this funhouse prism of the press. Now, judging from it, his this tweet, is true. judging it, yeah, let's yeah. talk about his tweet because that's that's unfiltered, right? That's the real that's yeah. the real Donald. And, and a little bit of what I've seen um, seems pretty good. He, he's doing this. This uh, he, he's he's focusing on. Let's be respectful of the memory of George Floyd. He's he's focusing on. Let's get to the truth. Let's do these investigations. Let's make sure that that George Floyd's memory is respected. There's, uh, he seems to be marking clearly that there is a difference between protesting and rioting, which indicates that he's not trying to paint protesters as rioters. Um, and he's working, he, he's, he's, he's working to, um, he, he's working to, to, uh, to, to quell the violence. Uh, he's also showing restraint. He's showing restraint in that he's urging the mayors and governors of the jurisdictions uh, in question to activate their National Guard and to activate their law enforcement and do what they have to do to, to, to quell it. He's not assuming new powers. He's not using a crisis to assume new powers. Uh, th there's criticism that a lot of people are saying maybe he should, maybe he should a um, a activate various various sedition acts or, or whatever. I, I don't even remember the, the the statutes cited if they're even relevant. You know, but you have you have posse comitatus. He can't just send the 101st Airborne into Fargo, North Dakota, to quell the riots and. Uh, the president can't activate the National Guard unless he can cite a specific congressionally authorized budget provision under which they'll be, they'll be funded. Uh, the National Guard has to be activated by the governor of the state. And then they can be federalized, but they can't be activated by the president except under specific circumstances. And that that's he he's sending out uh ur, he's urging people to 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 calm down. He is sending out the proper consternation um threat of consequences to the people who are getting violent and and who are to essentially your your looters, your vandals, your murderers, and he's expressing sympathy for the death of this man who who was murdered, and for the protesters who are showing their disgust and contempt for the system that has led to this death, and he he's been hammered. For saying, um, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, and I don't get that. I, 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 I do think that looters should probably be shot. 
not all looters at all times, but you know this goes all the way back to the Civil War when when there were looting problems as armies would advance through areas. Eventually, Abraham Lincoln set up a special force of people that had orders to shoot looters on site. Um, you you have it, it. It is common for law enforcement. All right, I, I can't say it is common. I don't know that, but when a person burns down a family's only source of income, when a person steals from them, breaks through the window, breaks into the secured shop, steals a family's primary source of income, maybe even harasses, threatens, or assaults, or kills them, and then burns the shop down. That is extraordinary harm. That isn't venting. That isn't letting off steam. That is a psychopath harming innocent people. And yes, if they, and yes, they should be stopped. And they should be stopped with the minimum amount of force necessary, but that very well could include shooting them. Um, it, it's, it, 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 did you say something? Yeah, I was just going to say that that's really hard to do, right? You know, it's it's because one of the things that I think protesters want they they want to elicit a violent response from from the police, and they want to get that on video, and yeah. that's just going to fuel more protesting, right? So it's a it's that, kind of a it's a catch twenty two. How do you stop people from rioting? Uh, because any force that you use is going to be interpreted as excessive. Well, if you don't use force, all you're doing is handing over people's homes, people's businesses, people's schools and community centers to the sociopaths who just want to loot them and burn them. You know, that, that, that apartment complex that burned in Minneapolis the other night, it, it was like 161 or 181 units of low-income housing. When, you're, when your law enforcement don't engage and they just pull back, that means that the, the, the folks who are hijacking the protest to turn it into a riot, your, your opportunist, opportunists, you're handing that section of the city over to them. What are the people who are now homeless, the, the, the most vulnerable economic strata in your society, by definition, your low-income housing people, what are they supposed to think now? What are they supposed to feel now that they know when the going gets tough, the cops abandon me? And the people who claim to be fighting for me will burn my home down. Well, chances are, chances are, I think we're going to see a, an even more armed society because, I mean, at this point, anyone who doesn't have a, have a weapon in their home, they're, they, they're probably going to run out and get one because you're right. In a situation like this, you can't depend on the police to protect you. Mm-hmm. 
what the what we need is you know we used to have militia acts in this country we used to have um people regularly practicing with firearms you didn't have a whole lot of accidental discharges because people knew safety firearm safety and i think maybe we need to get some of that back you know we we need to get back to the point of everyone has a required training probably organized by the county sheriff or the local state police barracks maybe once a year twice a year where you spend an hour on firearm safety and basic marks marksmanship and you spend an hour on basic first aid and gunshot wound field dressings and tourniquets and you spend an hour on something some security issue that is specific to your geography if you're in new york city it would probably be good if you have you have seven million people in the five boroughs in a given day right something like that what is that nuclear power plant that's on that island off the just a, a few miles away goes super critical and they need to evacuate New York City or if there's a dirty bomb and they need to evacuate Queens or if there's a tsunami and Brooklyn's going to be toast what if they need to do an evacuation quickly if you had just even just 5% of the population knew the, the mass evacuation plan for their, where they're at at the moment do you think that could lead to an orderly evacuation of that borough? <clears throat> well, you know, when, I, mean, I, when, I agree. When the World Trade Center was attacked in, uh, what was it, 93, they took a lot of lessons. The security security forces took a lot of lessons from that attack, and they they trained around what went wrong and what to do better. And they even did a little bit of re-engineering, things like painting um, marks on the ground that would glow in the dark to show people the way out. Uh, so if there's smoke, they could see by looking down. The, the, and, and because they were one of the best trained private security forces, you know, skyscraper security forces in the world, that was credited with saving thousands and thousands of lives that day with an evacuation that probably nowhere else in the world would have gone that smoothly and that professionally. Okay, but here's, 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 here's the thing we got to think about, you know, because everything in America seems to come back to race. And uh, so, you know, the, the Second Amendment does call for a well-regulated militia. But my concern would be, my concern would be if these militias are segregated by race, then are are we not causing another problem? And I and I guess you know I, I want to get your thoughts on hey, are you know what's what's the racial situation in America? What, what do you think? You know what's going on here? Okay, uh, I hadn't even considered the segregation by race it was I, I was just thinking you know your your county has training on these particular days at these locations and you show up where and when you can the number of times you're required to every year 
Uh, I, I totally agree. But let's 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 look back. Let's think back last month, right? So we had the yeah. opening up protest. We had the opening up protest, and you know, there's there's definitely, you know, most of those people were white. Well, most were white, but the it wasn't all white. There were actually a good number of black people and Asian people in those protests and in the armed protests. And that's one of the ways that perception has been manipulated through the press is that the press will frequently um, render persons of color invisible in these protests, especially if there's open carry involved. Um, if it's a pro-firearms protest, they will work their darndest to only show white people, to give you the impression that it's all white. Um, one, one great example is just the other night in Minneapolis, there was a fantastic photo of open carriers securing a, I think it was a tobacco shop for the small business owner who owned it, um, and two versions of it both went viral. One version showed the two in the middle of the group who are white in front of the store. And the other showed the entire group of four where one of the ones on the end or both of the ones on the end, on the ends, I can't remember, are, are, I, I believe black, but they weren't white. Because you have a lot of press elements will actually crop people out of the photo just to only show the white people. And there have even been stories in the past at protests where um, someone would actually get airbrushed to look like he was uh, lighter skinned uh, for a press in a press photo. Um, I, I was glad to see today, I, I don't remember what city it was, but there was a photo of four armed men open carrying to protect a black-owned shop, and they were all black, so it, the games couldn't be played. There weren't two versions of the photo making the rounds. There was just the one photo, because there was no way to, to claim that they weren't black. Um, it was... There is a vibe in this country, some kind of stigma, some kind of belief that gun ownership is somehow the domain of white people. Um, if you if you follow Anthony Calandro, he owns the the a spectacular, by all accounts, I've never been there, shooting range in New Jersey. Um, he, he talks about how, how he has to deal with um, black people from New York City. You know, he gets a lot of customers from New York City, a lot of people it's their first time. Sometimes with, with his African-American clientele, they, they, they feel a little bit resident, a little bit hesitant to come in. They're afraid that it's just going to be a whole bunch of rednecks getting ready to, 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 to take something out on them or something. And it, it's I don't know where the stigma comes from. I don't know if it's bad PR over the years or if there's an actual history to it. Um, I would say it's- I would say it's bad PR, right? I would say it's bad PR. I would say there's uh, there's definitely a stigma. I mean, we're talking about militias here. We're talking about armed whites. Yeah, and I want to be clear there's, here. I am not talking about some kind of Michigan militia, a bunch of bubba's running around in the woods, um, 
playing G.I. Joe and trading drugs for guns. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about American citizens showing up at a, a regular location just like the, just like you used to have to show up to the draft board for a physical. I'm just talking about a, um, and forgive the, the analogy here, but like a, um, uh, DMV license renewal just for firearms training for all Americans, something that everyone does. That, that makes a lot of sense, but how do you keep it separate, right? So, you know, and, and let me ask you, let me throw this name out there. So I've been reading a lot about Boogaloo and this particular group, and I'm, I don't really know anything about it, but I think the fear, the fear is that the legitimate citizens who are just exercising their constitutional rights, those citizens would somehow get mixed up or co-opted by white nationalist groups or, you know, these guys, these Michigan militia groups. Like, how do you keep all of this separate? Um, well, it, it's funny because... <laughs> There, there, I, I don't think you have to keep it separate. I think it stays separate naturally. Um, yeah, if you, if you open a public school, you, you wind up teaching kids who grow up to join, um, racist separatist groups. Um, and if you teach people how to put a pressure bandage on a pack on a gunshot wound some of the, some small percentage of the people you teach are going to be racists um of any stripe but so, so how do i yeah. so how do i know right so like if you're if you're talking about like at the very beginning of our conversation we talked about two groups and you talked about one group that works and one group that doesn't work uh, how how do I know that this coming war isn't a race war? How does it not become a race war? That's what I think is the danger here. That's that's the problem, right? All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, all right. First off, I, I I don't think I talked about a group that works and a group that doesn't work. I think I talked about two different views of rights, which. Okay maybe can fall along those lines, but doesn't have to be cut along those lines. Um, but as far as a race war, there are definitely people trying to turn this into a race war. But there are not hundreds of thousands of neo-Nazis and white separatists and white nationalists in this country as much as CNN wants you to believe otherwise. There just aren't. The, the Ku Klux Klan has what, like 6,000 members? Even your, 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 um, Aryan, uh, biker gangs have more to do with, uh, selling drugs than with trying to, to cause a race war. They, they, they just choose a, 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 in my opinion, the, the, the racial philosophy just as some sort of code to set them apart from others. But but I don't think the natural state is for this to turn into a race war. I think when you talk about you you, you spoke about the, the Boogaloo movement and I've been following several of those accounts and 
you know, there was someone the first night of the the first night of the Floyd George protest. There was some, I saw a picture online. There was this guy showed up. He had a flag. It looks like the uh, Blue Lives Matter flag, you know, with the black and blue and white stripes. Except in the star field, where where the stars go, it had an igloo and a palm tree, and then where the white stripe is replaced with a blue stripe in the middle. Uh, the blue stripe was actually like a floral print from like a Hawaiian shirt. It was all blue and white. Right, I've I've heard about this, and I I I have seen just some you know when you're watching a video you just see images, but I have seen some interesting flags. I've seen the blue and I've seen a black and blue flag, and. Uh, I've seen some other flags that I can't really identify, which kind of speaks to what you were what you were saying in the beginning, which is you know who's behind these protests, who's out there, who are these people? Yeah, and I I don't think that this is a race war, and I I, I think that part of the the part of the tension here is, is that. I haven't seen any evidence that Floyd George was targeted or killed because he's black. Uh, have you seen something that I haven't? I have not, no. No, this is, it's assumed that his being black had something to do with it because it was a white officer that killed him. Um, but there's, there, there's no evidence of that. Now, some people will say, well, he wouldn't have been in a an environment policed as heavily as it is, or he wouldn't have had as many interactions as he did, or, or whatever, if his skin color were different. Well, maybe, maybe not, but that doesn't mean he, he died because he's black. That doesn't mean that he was treated any differently than a white person would be treated, or an Asian person would be treated, or a native person would be treated. Um yeah, you could you could say maybe he has more encounters with law enforcement based on geography, which has a strong coefficient with race. Uh and we can talk about, you know, reasons for that and ways to address that. But I I, I think that this is a bigger issue with law enforcement is trained and expected and they have good reasons for it to use force early and definitively and frequently. And we need to change, if we can change the laws to reduce the interactions with law enforcement, then their training can change and the situations won't be as tense. Uh, and we can rethink things like the 21-foot rule. What's that? The 21-foot rule is somebody did a study years ago and found that if a suspect has a knife and tries to stab an officer, he can close 21 feet of distance to plunge the knife in the officer um, or in his target, whoever that is, 
before a trained officer in the time it takes a trained officer to draw his gun, aim, and fire. So law enforcement is taught to shoot someone with a knife who gets within 21 feet. That seems very, very generous. That seems extremely generous. Uh, there, some people dispute that. Some people dispute the math on that, etc. I, I don't know. You, you've met me. I'm an overweight person. I'm not going to judge physical um, ability, but I am going to say if you're, if you're, if you live in an age where your bias is this person means to kill me, and that's what you're trained and expected to believe, and you have reasons to believe that, then you're going to encounter, you're going to have a lot of interactions where you're going to assume that you need to kill a person. Uh, with perhaps less evidence than the public would be otherwise comfortable and I, I think that's leading to a lot more deaths than it has to and I think it has a lot to do with stupid stupid laws creating a lot of high tension interactions okay so we would agree we would agree that that is a problem right mm -hmm. so how, how do we address this problem? I'm going to, uh, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the looters right now, the rioters. Mm -hmm. How do we address, how do we address this problem? We know this problem has been going on for years. How does it get fixed? How does it get attention if we do not take to the streets and loot and burn? Yeah, that I got, I, I, I'm trying to figure it out, but, um, I think, I think part of the issue is, again, the folks who are actually looting and actually burning are generally not from the neighborhood where they're looting and burning. So I don't believe that the looting and burning, despite um, all of the uh, sophisticated voices saying otherwise, I don't think that that's a bunch of people trying to call attention to the problem. They're not, if you're trying, if if that's really it, if you're really just so full of frustration that you think this is the only way to call attention to the problem, you loot your own neighborhood. You burn your own neighborhood. Um, the, the, they're protesting in their own neighborhoods, and then outsiders are coming in. Uh, that there was, I just saw a video on Instagram, a news reporter interviewed a looter, white kid. This is in, I think, San Francisco. I think it was in San Francisco. He had just arrived from Indiana. Hmm. I see. I see. That, that, that's now, as far as how do you get attention, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of the laws that create a lot of the tension are passed by people who are elected locally. You know, when 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 the Ferguson riots happened, I, I read the Department of Justice report. Well, I didn't read it. I, I skimmed it. But it, it basically had two halves, and I, I read a number of commentaries on it from left and from right. And the two halves were basically, on the one hand, 
Darren Wilson didn't execute Michael Brown. There was no hands up, don't shoot. Michael Brown was struggling, was reaching into the police cruiser, struggling with a firearm, and he he was shot and killed in self-defense. And the physical evidence shows that. On the other hand, the the city believed it. The, hell, the county believed, much of the county believed that lie because everything was such a powder keg. Because St. Louis County, uh, the municipal courts were deriving, I think it was 75% of their budget from fees and fines. And under state law, that is capped at, I think it was supposed to be capped at 5% or 15%. So what it led to was a system where law enforcement would actually have quotas and their bosses would get on them to write tickets for nuisance violations like your grass is too tall. So they'd write these tickets for these code enforcement and nuisance violations, but then the people who were middle class, upper middle class, upper class, would go to their buddies at City Hall and get the tickets voided. So then how does that revenue get made up? You go to the people who don't have the political connections. Who are the people who don't have the political connections? They're the people in the poor areas who also don't have the money to be able to afford these bullshit tickets. And you, you wind up with this massive cycle, but their entire funding system was illegal. And it was, it, it was set up by people who are elected by the residents of these jurisdictions. Okay, so what you're describing, what you're describing is a perfect storm. You're describing a situation in which law enforcement has incentives to make contact, make contact with American citizens. And, you know, each time they do this, it's an opportunity for disaster because maybe out of a hundred stops, you know, maybe one of those guys has an automatic weapon and he's on parole. Right. Yep. And then he's got an incident. Yeah, and it's not just traffic. At this point, you're talking about homes. You're talking about people on the street, people walking down the street, etc. And that's that's not even the the half of it. There were more outstanding bench warrants than there were adult residents in Ferguson, Missouri. So imagine you're growing up in this town where you're not taught, oh, man, is something going wrong? Is there a stranger at the door? Is somebody threatening you? Are there gunshots down the street? Call the police. They'll help. You're taught, oh, man, don't call the police. Uncle Joe in the guest room has two outstanding bench warrants on him. They'll take him away. Don't ask the police for help when something goes wrong. I, no wonder the city was a powder keg. Well, if you no, if you no. if you take that and you apply that to cities all over America, you know maybe this is why we have these nationwide riots, right? Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting that. Yeah, uh, you, you know I I, I hate it, it's it's it's. A landmine to, tr- it's a minefield to try to 
note anything, any political correlations to this, but it's interesting. You can't avoid it. It is so lopsided. It is, what was it I heard earlier today? It was in 23 jurisdictions, 23 cities where the outright rioting is going on, 21 of them are Democrat-run. It's and, and I, I don't think it, that's a criticism of the Democrat Party, but there is something about the way these cities have evolved and come to operate with centralized government services that has led to an explosion of resentment against law enforcement. And I, I, I think that uh, I think that there's something there. That 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 correlation yeah, well, exists for a reason, and it, I think that the the leadership in the Democratic Party needs to really look at that and see. Well, these two jurisdictions that are Republican led, what do we have in common with them, and what are we doing differently than them? And maybe we can figure out some from those commonalities. What should yeah? Be but the thing is, I would say that I would say that most big city mayors are Democrats, right? Uh huh. Even in the South. So there's something about urban areas that breeds support for Democrats for some reason. Yeah, uh, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, my, my, my perspective is I, I just think the Republican Party is missing a huge opportunity, you know, because the Democratic Party has shown very little leadership over the past 20 or 30 years. And I think Republicans, instead of appealing to these people who, you know, who could probably benefit from conservative values, Republicans have gone the other way. I think there's a, within the Republican party, there's a lot of race baiting. There's a lot of dog whistles. Uh, I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of racism in the Republican party. And I would not, a month ago, I would not have said that. One month ago, I wouldn't have said that. But, uh, in the last month, we've got Mitch McConnell telling Barack Obama to shut up, shut up his mouth. We've got Carl Rove, you know, who made some comments about Barack Obama that I think are just, just clearly, clearly racist. Why isn't the Republican Party, why is the Republican Party going that route? If the Republican Party would apply conservative values to the city, people would peel off from a Democratic Party and they would go red. Why, why isn't the Republican Party taking advantage of this opportunity? Uh, I, I hadn't heard about, um, uh, Mitch McConnell and Carl Rove. I needed to, or at least I didn't know what you were talking about just now. I had to Google it. It was, um, are you talking about the speech to HBCUs? Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell you what Carl Rove said, right? So Carl Rove says, he's in, he's in response. So, so Barack Obama is, is, uh, using kind of code words to, to, uh, to uh, criticize Donald Trump, right? Which is 
you know, that's probably something that former president should not do. But Karl Rove's response is, his Karl Rove's response connects three things. Number one, Barack Obama. Number two, HBCUs. And number three, drive-by shootings. So I think you know me very well. I'm not the guy that's going to look for racism under every rock. But Karl Rove is smart. He knows what he's doing. That's a racist statement. And he's, by doing that, he's solidifying the polarization instead of reaching out to these people. So okay. I, I'm just going to say that's disappointing to me. It's disappointing. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't paying a lot of attention. I'd heard that there was criticism that that the President Obama had made a uh, speech at HBCUs and decided to criticize Republicans uh, for being racist or something again. Um, which no, yeah, he's, he's criticizing them. He's criticizing them for a lack of leadership during the coronavirus. Oh, okay. So he was going with the the coronavirus hoax. Okay. Um, no. Um, yeah, when Barack Obama had the benefit of eight years without being criticized by his predecessor, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty pretty. Um, that's a pretty shitty thing to do, especially considering that um, that it's largely that the the lack of leadership thing is largely a hoax. We could have that that conversation another day, but. Um, as far as calling it a drive-by shooting, it's I would it would never occur to me that that's racist language. I I, I don't have an image uh, I don't get imagery of racism in me. I, it, when I hear that, it's it's that that's exactly what um, uh, Rush Limbaugh when I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh in the nineties. That's exactly what he'd say about the the corporate press. You know, they just yeah. He called it the drive-by media. Yep, and that that's that that's that that's the image that I get in my head when I hear that. Um, to me, it doesn't sound racially linked at all. I, 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 it hadn't even occurred to me that the fact that the speech he was referencing was at HBCUs would would have anything to do with the term itself. Yeah, I, you know. Karl Rove is a clever guy, and uh, I'd say he's oh. a leader in the Republican Party, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to choose those particular vocabulary if for no reason. Well, he is a clever guy. He is capable of, of that kind of um, language, and he does love finding a wedge issue. So that that that's that's you, you point that out, and you're you're right about that. So. Maybe you're right on this. It just if you hadn't pointed it out, I never would never would have connected those dots. I never would have even thought of it as remotely racist. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the last word here, all right? Let's go back to let's go back to the president. If if you're the president, what should he do right now? What should he be doing? As far as short term, I, I I'm I'm not sure. Short term you've got cities burning. He is Showing restraint, which is frustrating a lot of people, but the moment he starts to to act and to move and to unleash military without being invited by governors, he's going to be accused of assuming dictatorial powers. 
So correct, and, he just and, and he can't do that. Yeah, and so it, it, the restraint he's showing now behind the scenes, he commands the most uh, powerful intelligence networks in the world. He has the most powerful money tracing. Uh, outfits in the uh, uh, tools in the world. He has the most powerful telephone tracking and link tracking tools in the world. And he has commands an apparatus with 20 years of experience um, putting together networks of cells. I think he's getting the chess pieces in place to go in for checkmate when the opening arrives. Uh, I, I, I think that that's happening. I think also he's doing what he can. There were two, two, um, two lawyers, Molotov cocktailed two NYPD cruisers the other day, and now they, they got charged today, and I believe it's federal charges. So when he can do something, he is doing it. I think there's a lot of preparation going on behind the scenes. Now, if I were in his shoes, something else I might be working on is something for the long term, something to reduce law enforcement interactions, something to encourage states and municipalities to, to reduce law enforcement interactions, I might be looking to, to issue an executive order for a legal reasoning for an executive order to find that, that the, the Schedule 1 uh, scheduling drugs as prohibited, scheduling intoxicants as prohibited under Schedule 1 is unconstitutional and should not be enforced. And the, and allow this at the federal level, and allow the states to establish their own industries for cocaine, for heroin, for just like they do for marijuana, and allow those industries to use the banking system. I I, I think this is I think you know we know that it's not constitutional because the federal government needed a constitutional amendment in order to ban intoxicating liquors, and that was the actual language used in the amendment. And then when we repealed that amendment, nowhere else in the Constitution does the word intoxicant, intoxicating, any, any, any word related to intoxicate doesn't exist anywhere else in the Constitution. The one time nationally that we wanted to ban intoxicants, we needed to pass a constitutional amendment. And we repealed that later. So under what authority did we come along in the 1960s under Nixon and suddenly pass a federal ban on intoxicants? There is no constitutional authority for it. It's time that this unconstitutional law stopped getting enforced. And if the feds stopped enforcing that ban, it would allow states to decide the best way to inf to ban or regulate for themselves, the same way they did with alcohol. You know, when prohibition was repealed, when alcohol prohibition was repealed, Mississippi did not have a public bar until 1966. If you wanted to serve alcohol, you had to be a private club. 
Utah maintained a complete prohibition on alcohol for years after the federal prohibition was repealed. Today, they still have the strictest liquor laws in the country. States can regulate according to their state functions. But in West Philadelphia today, they're trying to put up, and in New York City, they're trying to create centers where addicts can get heroin and consume it under medical supervision. Just because so many are dying from it. Meanwhile, if you have if you, if you go to, you know, let's just use Utah as an example again, since they're very staunch against intoxicants. If you go to Utah, their community standards and the way that they want to regulate it would be different than New York or Pennsylvania or Philadelphia or Los Angeles. Uh, we need to do away with this unconstitutional federal prohibition so that the communities can decide the level of regulation that's right for them, for their own community standards. And so, and so that there are fewer of these law enforcement encounters so that police can be seen once again as the peace officer in the neighborhood instead of the occupier. I think, I think for the, if you want to make a long-term change, it's going to make a long-term difference in police violence within communities, it's that. Restore more control to the communities over how law enforcement interacts with them. And a really, really big first step with that would be to end federal prohibition so that communities can engage in regulation or prohibition as fits their own community standards. Well, I think uh, if anybody can do that, it would be Donald Trump. And <laughs> if he were to do that, I think he'd be uh, he'd go down as a as a really great president. I think you're right. I think this you're is right. a huge problem that he could solve. I think solve is a little hopeful, but I think he could probably put a sixty percent dent in it. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. Thanks, Michael, and uh, I guess this is our first test version of the Truth and Narrative Show. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right. So uh, I'm going to get to work. It's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, so I'm going to get to work, and you have a you have a good evening, sir. All right. It's 10 o'clock at night here. I'll uh, let you go. Have a good one. All right. So yeah, let's let's plan on uh, let's let's do it again next Monday. Excellent. Sounds good. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye.